Welcome to Every Nation Rosebank. Please note that the views, opinions, assertions and theology of the following speakers and panel members do not necessarily represent the view of Every Nation Johannesburg or its leaders or elders. These speakers were invited to create dialogue and discussion on this matter and their views are their own. Enjoy the discussion. Thank you to um, Simon and Every Nation Church for this invitation and opportunity. <clears throat> My disclaimer this morning is I have no legal degrees and I've not done any work as far as land is concerned. Um, but I've been asked to come and speak a little bit about um, a biblical perspective on this issue of land and what we as church do. And so let me introduce myself a little bit more. I grew up in a Christian family. Um, we, at the end of supper every evening, the Bible was um, brought to the table as the table was cleared, and my father would read, and um, we would talk about what the Bible said, and then we would pray, and then we'd get up and do the dishes and get ready for bed. And I quickly noticed that politics in my family was a very um, divisive topic. It might not be in your family. But um, certainly I had a great-grandmother who um, spoke of Afrikaans, and her words about apartheid was, Godse water oor Godse akker. Translation, um, God's waters over God's acres, you know. God is sovereign, and God's will is always done. I had other family members who were like, God's will is not always done. And in South Africa, God is not in control. Because if this is God's control, then this God and the God we read about in Scripture is not the same. And so people who were for apartheid and people who were against apartheid. And in both camps, um, they quoted the Bible. So when we talk about a biblical perspective on anything, I would like to say there's no such thing as a biblical perspective. I think we ask questions of the Bible that it never intends to answer. Because a biblical perspective on land is Adam Adama. God is creator of the land, and God makes us from the land. And so we are needy and dependent on the land and needs to live in unity and sustainability with the land. That's biblical. Genesis chapter 1. We go a little on to Genesis, maybe chapter 40, and we get Joseph, um, the dreamer. And, um, and God gives him this, you know, premonition or vision or dream to interpret the seven years of plenty and the seven years of few. And so what did, we know the story, he builds the barns, blah, blah, people bring the extra food in. And then it says, when there was no more food... They came to Joseph, and he said, I will sell the food back to you. And then the people came to Joseph and said, we have no more money. And what did he say? Give me your land, and I will give you food. Joseph commodifies land. 
and uses it to enrich Pharaoh and enslave an entire nation. Now that's biblical. Let's fast forward to Joshua. Joshua hears a direct instruction from God Almighty, go and kill every Canaanite that you can find. Spare no one, not man, woman, or child. And take the land for your own possession. Brothers and sisters, this is biblical. What is a biblical perspective on land? I think that's an unhelpful question for us today. When we look at a biblical perspective on land expropriation without compensation, the truth is that happened in 1913 because of a biblical perspective on land. And so our conversation today needs to, I think, be nuanced a little more if we're going to find the Bible helpful in any way. And so I want to kind of reframe it and say, well, what is God's dream for land? And, and that will only help us a little bit. I think um, we must acknowledge that part of the history of the church has also demonized the Old Testament. And the Old Testament's been given bad press. It's the Old Covenant, you know. We deal with Jesus. We're all about the New Covenant. And we, we don't deal with Jesus in the Gospels. No, we deal with Jesus through the eyes of Paul. Second-hand information. I want to, to say that when we um, listen to the scriptures quoted this morning on this issue of land, we actually need to go there. We need to read the Old Testament. And can I ask you to be a little more courageous than that? Include the Apocrypha. Eighteen additional books that for 1,500 years was considered canon. You see, the Apocrypha speaks a lot about justice and land. And so if we say it's a little dodgy, then we keep a whole lot of people away from reading it. <clears throat> God's desire throughout the Old Testament is for the people of God to live in justice. That word justice in English is unhelpful because it combines this idea of righteousness and justice. Now, Lisa Sharon Harper was here um, last year sometime, and, and in her scholarship around this word justice, she says, we live with a Greek understanding of justice. A Hebraic understanding is that Goodness or justice cannot reside in one thing. I can't say, this is a good microphone. There's no such thing as a good item. Goodness or justice and righteousness resides between things. 
There is goodness between the sound of my voice and the working of this microphone. That's why you can hear me. So if we think of righteousness justice as one word, as not residing in anything but between things, we must ask the question, how is righteousness between us today? Because you not smoking and not drinking and not dancing is not helpful. When I have no land and you do. A biblical understanding of justice is a communal one. And so within both the Old and New Testament, I mean the New Testament uses English words like you. But it doesn't mean you singular. It's you plural, you as a community. Faith is communal as well as individual. If you don't believe me, Luke tells us a story of the paralytic, I'm digressing, being lowered from the roof. You remember that story? His friends bring him, and, and he writes in the Bible that Jesus, from the Bible, looks at the friends, sees their plural faith, turns to the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Bible. Their faith forgives his sin. You need to read your own Bible. We haven't got time for more of that now. But what is God's dream for land? Well, we see in um, the taking of the land that it is distributed according to the sizes of the tribes. If you are many in your tribe, you get a lot of land. Land is proportionate to the needs of the community. The Jewish way of sharing a pie is if there's eight of us, we, we first ask the question, Graham, when last did you eat? And when will you eat again? Okay. Dr. Wallace, when last did you eat? And when will you eat again? You see, sharing a pie among eight people might mean that one person gets the whole pie. Because they haven't eaten for three days and they're not going to eat again for another two. We need to understand this conversation of land within this framework of the Bible. I want to pause for a moment on Leviticus chapter 25. I don't know if you read that very often in your devotions. But I want to take a step back from Leviticus 25, because where does it come from? Leviticus 25 is Jubilee, right? We know that. Where does Jubilee come from? Well, Jubilee is after seven years of seven. Now, where does that come from? You see, God created in Genesis 1, the earth, and on the seventh day, God declared rest, holy, and good. And so when the commandments come in the book of Exodus, Israel is commanded, on the seventh day you will keep it holy and you will rest. Why? 
because they've been slaves in Egypt. Slaves don't rest. People who are poor don't have the luxury of resting. And so God says to them, rest, because you are no longer slaves. No longer slaves. And in fact, I don't want you to rest once a week. I want you to rest every seven years for a whole year. And then you do that for seven years, and on the seven times seven is 49. On the 49th year, the 50th year, you will have an extra mahala year of rest. Now, because we know that it's not easy to rest when you're poor, we're going to hit a reset button every 50 years. We're going to proclaim jubilee, and what's going to happen? All land will be returned to the original families who owned them. Because why? God actually gives a law that it is illegal to sell land. You know the story of Naboth and Jezebel and Ahab? He wants to buy a vineyard. And Naboth says, you know that I cannot sell land. Because land only comes through inheritance. So land gets returned to the original owners. God doesn't say, now why did you lose the land? Huh? Did you go selling it again? Did you waste it? Why are you poor? Huh? Are you lazy again? No. God's dream is that everyone in this extra year of rest would have land to go back to, family to reconnect with, and a place to call home. Now, in Isaiah 61, he talks about this proclamation of Jubilee. You know that? In the servant's song, 61, he talks about Jubilee. Jubilee is not just about returning land. All prisoners will be freed. All debts will be canceled. Can, can you see the picture of God's rest? Can you see the picture of God's rest? Don't, don't lose the point. The kind of rest God dreams for means you have no more debts, you have your land back, you're free from prison, no accusation against you. So Isaiah talks about this in, in Isaiah 61. He's reminding the Israelites of this dream of God for Jubilee. And then Jesus comes along in Luke chapter 4. He opens the scroll from Isaiah 61 and he reads this and he closes it. And what does he say? The scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Release for all the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to proclaim jubilee. This is what Jesus preaches. Not Paul so much. I'm not against Paul. I'm just saying I follow Jesus, not Paul. And so we when we talk about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it includes this conversation of jubilee. Now, I've been called a heretic for this before. 
But I just want to say, go read your Bible, please. Because Jesus does say that. And if you look at the reference in your Bible, it will see Isaiah 61. And when you look at Isaiah 61, you'll see Leviticus 25. The church in this conversation about land expropriation without compensation must be involved in this conversation. And the Bible is our founding document that will help us as we explore this document together. And so the church must give a lead and the church must do its own theological work of the whole Bible. If we want to answer this question, what is a biblical perspective on this particular issue? Part of framing Leviticus 25, as I said, is this idea of rest. Now, what happened when the Israelites were enslaved was their value was determined by what they were able to produce. Not just back then, today, in the coffee fields of Guatemala, your payment is based on how many baskets of berries did you pick today. On the farmlands in South Africa, farm workers, their value is measured by how much they produce. That is a measurement of slavery. If today your value is determined by how much you have produced, you are enslaved. If your value is determined by how much land your grandfather left you, or how much money is in your bank, or how much land you lost, then you're enslaved. God's dream for us is to be free from the commodification of all things. And so when we engage in this conversation about land, we must remember that part of God's dream is for all of us to be free and no longer to be measured by what we own or have produced. We have to go back and look at what the Scriptures teach us one of the things that I was told about the Old Testament is God just sounds very angry all the time. And Jesus took away all that wrath. But no one ever stopped to ask, well, why is God so angry? I want to leave that question with you today. What angers God so much? Why is God always in such a bad mood in the Old Testament? In Habakkuk, they cry out. They say, oh, Lord, why are you judging us? And the prophet says, because you are in possession of stolen land. And they say, but it wasn't us. It was our forefathers. But you are in possession of stolen land, and the anger of the Lord is burning against you. That's in the Old Testament. Yeah. 
we need to rediscover a love for all of God's word. We must do the theological work, but let me recommend this. We must read the Bible together. You see, when you read the Bible and it empowers only you and your friends, then we have a problem. Because the Bible is about God's love for all people, all people, black and white and blue and red and yellow. I want to recommend for those of you who are wanting to answer this question about a biblical perspective on land, read the Bible through the lens of land. Pay attention to every time there's a story about land and ask, what's God saying? Who is God saying it to? And what are the issues about? Can I invite you to do that? Don't read it alone. You see, the Bible has now become, because of the printing press, something we can have on our own for personal devotions. The Bible was never intended for personal devotions. Can I say that in this church? Is that okay, Pastor Simon? It was a public document that was read in public for the hearing of God's word. People heard it together and then would discuss it together. I'm not saying stop reading your Bible alone. That's helpful. That's always helpful. But don't only read your Bible alone. Please read it with people who look very different to you. And ask together the question, what is God's dream for us as we read this scripture together? As you read it, notice what angers God, what pleases God. And as you read it, remember the most important commandment, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. How does this text help me to love God and to love my neighbor as I read about land and about God's anger? Now, <clears throat> I want to um, say that one of the things that the church must also do, so the church must do the theological work, the church must give a lead in this conversation because we have a framing document, the Bible itself, that will help us. But the church must also take a lead in acting. I have a book that is no longer in print. If anyone has a copy like this lying at home, please let me know. The publisher is a publishing house here in Johannesburg. Um, this belongs to Stellenbosch Library, so I'm not going to leave it with anyone. But the title is Church, Land, and Poverty. It's a series of conversations that was initiated by the South African Council of Churches to talk about the issue of church and land. And in this book, they have proposed church land policy frameworks that, number one, recommends that all churches do a land audit. There's a bulletin. The problem with this is that there isn't a date, but there's a PDF available online, and I'm going to leave this somewhere that you can take a photo of it and you can find the 
um, link to it, find the URL, and you can download this PDF. It's free of charge. But um, because it doesn't have a date, I don't know when this information was gathered. We know it was kind of around 2005, or maybe before. It says that, um, as far as churches are concerned, the Moravian church owns the most land per square meter in this country. Followed by the Roman Catholic Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, the Moravian Church, then the Anglican Church, then the Methodist Church, then the Presbyterians. I'm sorry, every nation is not on this list. I think you can take that up with them later. But I think the point of this is, when I read biblically, one of the things that happened in the distribution of land was the pastors were not given land. The church had no land. I don't know what that means in a place as beautiful as this. And I'm not saying you must get rid of your buildings. But I'm saying biblically, we need to ask that question. Is it right for a church to own land? One of the scholars in this particular book on church land says, the church operates very much like a chiefdom. In rural areas, chiefs own the land, and people can use it. And this is very patriarchal and hierarchical and very different to a biblical understanding. I have five more minutes. The church must give a lead in this conversation, but they must give a lead in their actions too. I want to hold up one example um, from the Methodist church. I'm an Anglican priest, so I can talk about the Methodists. The Methodist church in um, 1998 used the opportunity of the transitions in the country to do a land audit. <clears throat> The Moravian Church, by the way, is the only denomination who has made restitution for land that they own. Um, so the Methodists said, look, we own a lot of land, but we are changing the way we relate to land. And they passed a resolution that said, all Methodist property must become missional. And so in the Methodist Church in Cape Town, as an example, they have these, these four shops that's like in prime location on Church Street, and they rent those four shops out commercially. And that rent produces enough money to pay the pastors and the administrator and to pay the insurance on the building. So when people give their tithes and offerings, that goes directly to mission. They said, as far as possible, at least 10% of your property must provide residential housing. And so they are able to provide low-cost housing in the city for residential purposes. That's missional. I know you work on Wits University campus. Maybe a question you could ask is, how can we provide low-cost housing for students? 
How can we use the property we have to provide a place for students to work, get free internet, get nice coffee, study, and use it for missional purposes in that way? That we begin to think about land as church, not as chiefs, but as the community of God. This land is not ours. This land is for the benefit of the people of God. I know that will create nightmares for all your property managers, but I'm just throwing that out as a suggestion. The other suggestion I want to make in this conversation as we look publicly at this issue of land is that we must acknowledge that the issue of land is intersectional. The land issue is not just about land. It is connected to many other issues. And so there's work we can do on other issues that will help the issue of land. I'll give you an example. In Cape Town, on the highways, we have dedicated bus lanes. I know you have that here too. But the bus lanes coming into the city go all the way through the townships. The bus lanes going out of the city don't. What does that say? Our priority is that you get to work on time. We don't care what time you get home. That's a land issue expressed in transport. I live in Rondebosch. There's no buses, no taxis, which means if you work in that neighborhood, especially as a gardener or domestic worker, you have to walk for 15 minutes at least before you can get to anyone's house. Now, if you live in a middle-class neighborhood, one of the things you can do as a land issue is insist that taxis come through your streets. Give access to the land to all South Africans. You know those fancy botanical gardens? Public transport must go there. Public transport to the malls, that is free. And land that belongs to internationals, we must tax them. And we must use those taxes to give people access to good, clean air, water, and good schools. One of the reasons why people want land and houses is because they want access to good education. That is a land issue. If you look at the geography of where all the best schools are in this country, you will see that it is a land issue. And the shame of the church is that a lot of those properties belongs to the church. And so charging private schools high rentals so that we can build better schools in low-income areas, that's a land issue. It's intersectional. And so... In conclusion, what does the Bible say about land? A lot. (laughs) But we must read a little more nuanced than that. God's dream is that all God's children have access to the land and all that the land can provide. That's God's dream. And you and I become the people who get to make God's dreams come true on earth. 
And that means that we must be involved in this conversation. Biblically, we must be involved in this conversation because we must make God's dream come true in this country of ours. So God bless you as we seek ways of doing that together.